listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It refers to the devil as the God of this world. It refers to the devil as the God of this world who has blinded people from the gospel. Listen to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. The whole world, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world is under the control, thank you, sir, of the evil one. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 26. And that they come to, this, it prayed for them, that they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Having been taken captive by the devil to do his will. What is his will? To kill, steal, and destroy. And that's exactly what that man did this week. John 10, 10, the devil comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, the Bible says that when Jesus was tempted, that Satan took him up on the high mountain, and he, and he said, he showed him all these kingdoms. He said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you these kingdoms. Now, had Satan not had the power to do that, that would not have been a temptation, would it? Jesus could have said, you don't have the power to do that. That's not a temptation. Satan had the power to do it. 1 John 3 and verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we really do need to be in prayer. We need to pray for these precious kids right here. They're not kids. These are teenagers, but... Uh, even come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, this morning, <clears throat> I'm going to do a little different format than I guess I normally would do, but uh, I want to talk about something today that, to be honest with you, is seldom talked about from pulpits anymore. Uh, and I realize I've been in the pulpit for almost all these years, but I have retired uh, 11 years ago, and I've been visiting many, many churches now, I can honestly say I've never heard anybody get up in the pulpit and preach on what I'm going to talk about today. And there's a reason for that. Now, I'll tell you what that reason is in a moment. But what I want to talk about today are the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. And I want to read a passage of Scripture. If you'd like to turn with me and read it with me, it's at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then we'll talk about some things about it this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Get your phones out. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't even know how to do that if I, if I could. I, I would not know how to do that. I thought Twitter was a reindeer. I mean, you know, I just, I'm not very. Oh, now, now watch this. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, would not have you be unaware. First thing I want you to notice in that verse is that the word gifts is in italics. You see that? Young people, do you know what it means when you're reading a verse of Scripture and, the, and a word is in italics. Y'all know what that means? That means that that word was not in the original language. And the, and the, and the editors, the people who are bringing that from the Greek over into the English, are, are telling you that this word was not in the original language. Uh, and, and many times I think it helps to, to do that, and sometimes I think it hinders. And this, I just want you to see, I think he's talking about, I would not have you to be ignorant of all the manifestations of the Spirit, everything that's going on in the spirit world. 
In fact, he says it again. Look over and first, turn the page to the 14th chapter. Pursue love and desire earnestly spiritual gifts. There's that word again, and once again it appears in italics, meaning that it's not in the original language, but he wants us to pursue everything within the spirit realm. Now, let's go on verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, that is, idols that could not speak. They were just statues and so forth. However you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says that Jesus is accursed. You'll never convince me that a Christian can take God's name in vain and not think about it. I hear people say, well, I'm a Christian, and they'll stand right there and take God's name in vain. Why don't they say Buddha damn? Hindu damn. Well, they always have to use our, our God. But then he goes on to say this, but no one can say that uh, Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. You know, Jesus complimented Peter for that. Do you remember that? He said, Peter, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? Uh, well, uh, this, you know, John, this one, that one, that one, that one. But who do you say that I am? I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, who's coming to this world. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So we, we can't acknowledge Jesus as being the Messiah, really in our heart, and mean it, unless we know him as our personal Savior. <clears throat> now listen, verse 4. <clears throat> now there's a variety of gifts with the same Spirit. There's a variety of ministries, but the same Lord there's a variety of effects, but the same God who works these things in, ever, in all persons. I want you to look at those verses and see if you see the Trinity there. In verse 4, he talks about the Spirit. In verse 5, he talks about the Lord. And in verse 6, he talks about God. There's something else I want you to see there in those verses. He says in verse 4, there's different gifts given by the Spirit that verse 5, that produce different ministries, verse 6, that have a different effect upon the body of Christ. You see that? Verse 4, he says, there's a variety of gifts, okay? And in verse 5, he says, a variety of ministries. These gifts produce different kinds of ministries. And number 6, that have different effects upon the body of Christ. I've often heard people say, wouldn't it be wonderful if... If Billy Graham had uh, the same gift of healing that Oral Roberts had. No. That, that wasn't the gift that was given to Billy Graham. Uh, uh, Oral Roberts really wasn't known for his evangelism as much as he was known for, for his healing. So, we need to understand that God gifts different people different gifts. So that those people could, that can produce a ministry that will have a different effect upon the body of Christ. Some people would call it the fivefold ministry that we see in Ephesians. All right, let's, let's keep looking. Uh, verse 7, but to each one, let me ask you a question. Are you in each one? Young people, are you all in each one? You are, aren't you? Okay, then he's given this to you. He's given this to us. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, in other words, the good of everyone. For the one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, 
to another, now watch this, this is in uh, plural, to another gifts of healing uh, by the one spirit, and to another effecting of miracles, plural, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguished of spirits. By the way, you know how two prophets greet each other? You're fine, how am I? Okay. And to another prophecy. <laughs> See, prophets don't have to study. Us preachers have to study. They don't have to study. And to another, the distinguished of spirits, and to another, different kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But this looks in the underlying verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. In other words, who, dis who, who disperses the gifts of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit. Okay? So, I just kind of jotted down a little brief outline that I want to try to follow. And if we don't get through today, we'll, we'll take it up next week. Okay? So, first thing, uh, what are spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? Uh, what are not spiritual gifts? Maybe we need to look at the what and the not um, before we look at the what. A spiritual gift is not a uh, God-given ability. In other words, if you have a God-given ability in a particular area, that's not a spiritual gift. That's a God-given ability. A, a spiritual gift is the ability to do something that you could not normally do without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when spiritual gifts are 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 practiced in harmony, uh, in humility, they provide, they provide harmony. Okay, back during the charismatic movement that you people won't even remember, but some of you do, uh, the gifts of the Spirit were not being produced in humility. Therefore, they were not creating harmony in churches. They were creating a lot of diversity and a lot of uh, problems. So, Second question I want to deal with today is why are spiritual gifts necessary today? And then uh, I want to talk about the duration of spiritual gifts. How, when God gave these spiritual gifts, how long were they supposed to last? And number four, why are they being ignored today by most people? You know, it, Paul began by saying, I would not have you to be, uh, uh, what, what's the word? He, he's diplomatic up here. He said, I would not have you be unaware He's more tactful than King James. What did King James say? Would not have you to be ignorant. But what Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant about, is what the church today, in my opinion, is most ignorant about. If I were to come out there just one-on-one -on -one and ask you, tell me about spiritual gifts. What gift do you operate in? You know the answer to that question, don't you? Majority of people say, man, I don't know a whole lot about spiritual gifts. I don't know if I operate in any of the gifts, spiritual gifts. So, then the last question is, how do we receive spiritual gifts? Okay, let's, let's see if we can tackle the first one. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a, is a manifestation of the Spirit's work or the Spirit's activity. Uh, let me read a couple of verses that you may have not thought about for a while, but listen to Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 uh, through 8. Having this attitude in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, 
although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God to be a thing that is to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Now what does that tell us? That tells us that everything that Jesus did when he was on this earth, he did as man and not God. Had he done those things as God, we'd have no, we, there's no need to read that because we can't do that because we're not God. Jesus would not have been an example for us of the Christian life had he done everything he did by the power. By, if he were God, he, he divested himself of that. Where did he get that power then? Let's go over to Luke. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him. You say, well, wait a minute, if he was already God, why did the Holy Spirit come on him? Because he divested himself of the part that was God. Remember? So when, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, how did he know that she had been married six times before? He operated in the gifts of the Spirit, the word of wisdom. When the Pharisees came to him and tried to trick him, according to the law, this woman should be stoned to death. Okay, you that's without sin, you cast the first stone. Where did he get all that wisdom? Gift of wisdom, listed right here. When, uh, when Jesus healed all these people, different ways. The gifts of healing. So why are, the, why are gifts important to us today? If we're going to do what Jesus has told us to do, we have to do it the way he did it, and that's to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, let me throw this in real quick. I'm not sure if I'm going to follow my outline. Like a, why are gifts today rejected by most people? Let, let's say tongues. Tongue, of all the spiritual gifts, tongues is by far the most controversy. Most people say, well, I don't want anything to do with tongues. I believe it's all of the devil. Be careful saying that. The Bible says the unpardonable sin is to contribute to Satan, that which comes from God. Now, we, we say the unpardonable sin is to reject Christ. So go back and read it in the context. They were saying that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And then, then, then we read the passage that says that this is, the, this is the unpardonable sin, to contribute something to Satan it came from God. So if you come up and say, well, I believe anybody that's speaking in tongues is speaking to the devil, be careful, careful, careful when you say that. By our words, we're justified. And by our words, we're condemned. So why is it necessary for us to operate in spiritual gifts? Because that's how Jesus did his ministry. Now, why... Is there such a rejection of it today? And, and I, I sense more than just a, a, a lukewarmness to it. I, I sense almost a rejection by some people when you start talking about spiritual gifts. The Bible says, do not be ignorant of the strategies of Satan. Okay, here's one of his strategies. 
He will abuse the truth to get you to refuse the truth because he knows that you're going to respond to the abuse rather than the truth. Now let me say that again. Satan will abuse the truth to get you to refuse that truth because he knows that you're going to respond to the abuse rather than the truth. You know, somebody gets on television and I got a word of knowledge. There's somebody out there that's got a headache and you're being healed right now. Now, I'm not making fun of that. But if you've got 10 million people out there listening to you, somebody out there's got a headache. If you've got a word of knowledge, why don't you call the police and tell them where the, where the drug dealers are, where the child molesters are. You see, he will abuse that truth to get us to refuse it. But we cannot afford to do that. We, we, we've got to go back to the Scripture, and we've got to get, understand what spiritual gifts are, how we can operate in them if we're going to do the ministry that Jesus has given us to do. So that's the, that's the why of the gift. We need the gifts if we're going to operate uh, in the Spirit. Okay? Now, what about duration of gifts? How long were these gifts supposed to last? Okay. Didn't Jesus say something about no part of my word will be taken out till all has been fulfilled? Didn't he say that somewhere along the line? I believe he did. Okay, let me show you. There's a word for this. It's called cessationism. And it's a very popular belief today that most of these spiritual gifts died with the apostles or when the Bible was canonized. Now, the problem with that is the Bible wasn't canonized. You know what the word canonized means, young people? When the Bible came together like you have it right there in your lap. That was almost 500 years after Jesus died that we have in what we hold in our hand today, the complete Bible. So, what they're teaching, again, it's called cessationism, and it's a, it's a belief that when... Uh, the Bible was completed that these gifts ceased. Not all of them, but uh, let's go back down here at the bottom. Uh, uh, gifts of healing, uh, miracles, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Why they choose those, I, I really don't know, but they've kind of chosen those as the ones that they say, these don't exist anymore. You say, well, Barry, is, is that really being taught in our schools today? That is exactly what I was taught in Bible college. That is exactly what I was taught. I was taught cessationalism. All right? You say, well, where in the world do they get that? Open, turn your Bible to the 13th chapter for a moment. And by the way, to study this thing properly, you really need to study chapters 12, 13, and 14 together. Chapter 12 tells us what the gifts are. Chapter 13 tells us they have to be uh, done in love or they're not going to be very much good at all. And chapter 14 tells us how, they're, how they can be so easily abused, especially the speaking in tongues. But uh, turn me to the 13th chapter. Okay, <clears throat> let's uh, start reading in verse 8, okay? Love never fails. And again, Remember, 13th chapter tells us how the gifts are to be administered in love. Okay, love never fails, but where there is gift of prophecy, notice it's in italics too, they will be done away. 
Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, they shall be done away. Now, in that verse, they said that prophecy uh, passed away, and so did tongues, but not knowledge. Now, why are you so picky? If, if prophecy and, and uh, tongues passed away, why not knowledge? Knowledge hasn't passed away. We're seeing the acceleration of knowledge today. Like, un, it's unbelievable. All right, let's keep going. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial should be done away. Let's stop right there for a moment. These sensationists, and I'm probably not using, pronouncing that word correctly, uh, they, they believe that the, the partial are the gifts of the Spirit. And, and when the perfect comes, then the partial will be done away. And they're saying that the perfect is the Bible. Okay? That's what they're saying. Uh, and he goes on to say, for, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial should be done away. In other words, Jesus only healed people to get his book published. That robs him of his compassion. To say that geology wants the Bible, he didn't he don't do that anymore. Let's keep reading. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, to think like a child, to reason like a child. But when I became a man, in other words, when I became a mature, mature person, I did away with these childish things. Listen to verse 12. Now we see through a glass dimly, but, but then, talking about that time, then face to face. Now I know in heart, but then I will know fully, just as I have also have been fully known. Let me ask you a question. This is real simple. Do you come face to face with the Bible, or do you come face to face with the person? You come face to face with the person. So in my very humble but accurate opinion, they say that a lot at Highland. Uh, yes, when Jesus comes back and we see him face to face, we don't need these gifts anymore. We don't need them anymore. But we need them until he comes back. You see that? Now, I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it lovingly and kindly because I, I love these individuals. Who are the kind of men that teach cessationalism? Charles Stanley teaches cessationalism. I love Charles Stanley. I've been blessed by Charles Stanley ministry for years and years, but he teaches that the gifts, these gifts we mentioned a moment ago, ceased when the Bible was canonized. And I love David Jeremiah. I've been blessed by his ministry, by his teaching, but he also is a cessationalist. He believes that these gifts I read a moment ago cease to exist. In fact, Charles Stanley calls them elementary things. They're not even, they're just elementary. They're not elementary to me. I mean, if you need to be healed, that's not elementary to you. It's, it's pretty important to you. So, um, again, where do they get this? I just, I just read it for you. They believe that this verse right here that says, but when the perfect comes, the partial should be done away. They teach that the perfect is the Bible. And so when the Bible was canonized, we didn't need these gifts anymore. I believe, go down to verse 12, it says, now when we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. When we see Jesus face to face, no, we will not need these gifts anymore. But until he comes, I believe we need them. Another 
problem, I think, that's created all this havoc is terminology. Uh, have you ever asked some, if somebody ever asked you, have you ever been baptized in the Spirit? What do they mean by that? Now, I'm not making fun of them, but this is kind of the way it comes out sometimes. Do you have the Holy Ghost with evidence? What's the evidence? Speaking in tongues. See, they go back to Acts chapter 2. Now, when it was prophesied in the Gospels that, that the Holy Spirit was going to come, it says that they would be baptized in the Spirit. But then on the day of Pentecost, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other glossolah, is the word for tongues. Uh, but yet everybody heard them in their own dialectos, in their own dialect, the wonderful works of God. Are not all these men Galileans? How is it? Would they hear them speak in our own dialectos, Greek word for dialect? So it wasn't some kind of a prayer language that, that they had. It was a, a known language. And why, why did they need that known language? Because all these people from all these different parts of the earth had come to the day of Pentecost to celebrate Pentecost, and they wanted everyone to hear what was going on in their own language. Now, what's, what's happened? Uh, well, let me, just, let me distinguish between the two. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a positional thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit places you into the body of Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a conditional thing. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, he said, Be not drunk with wine, where is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a present active participle there. And, and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things I learned real quickly when I first experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit was I was a leaky vessel. I leaked. <laughs> I didn't just leak, I leaked a lot. The baptism of the Holy Spirit places you into the, tells you that you're placed into the body of Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit tells you that your body now belongs to Christ. See the difference? Uh, but yet we, we use those terminologies. And then this whole thing about tongues has been so... There's about three different positions that denominations use to, uh, to teach speaking in tongues. And by the word, the, the word tongue is the word glossola, and it, it means languages. And Paul says there's, not, there's no language that doesn't have a meaning. We, don't, we probably won't get into the 14th chapter for a long time, but, uh, but he says there is no tongue or no language that doesn't have some type of significance. But here are the three different views. The Pentecostal church, and again, I can't speak for all Pentecostals, but the United Pentecostal Church believes that you're not saved if you can't speak in tongues. You're not a Christian. You can't speak in tongues. That's what they teach. And where do they get that? Well, they get it from here. They get it from Acts chapter 2, that when these people were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. Then they go back even further to Acts, uh, to John chapter 3, where the wind bloweth what list us, and you hear it the sound thereof, but can't stop tell where it's coming from and where it's going. They say that mighty wind that happened in the cloven tongues that were over people's head in Acts chapter 2 was uh, an example of that. So United Pentecostal Church believes that you are not saved, you can't speak in tongues. Then there's the Assemblies of God. Now, I respect these people. I'm not putting them down. I'm just telling you what they'll admit themselves that they believe. The assembly of God will tell you 
that you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit if you can't speak in tongues. Sometimes I watch those channels just to kind of see what they're doing and saying. And the other night I was watching uh, Jimmy Waggard, who's uh, united with the Pentecost, uh, Assemblies of God. They had all the people come down to receive the Holy Spirit. And they said, now, just receive the Holy Spirit and start speaking in another language that you don't know. What they're trying to do is reproduce Pentecost. See? And the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, we don't have to reproduce Pentecost. When you get saved, you receive the Spirit of God. The Bible says, if you have not the Spirit, if you have not His Spirit, you're none of His. And if you say, well, we get Jesus over here, but we don't get the Holy Spirit till over here, then you're dividing the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When you get the Son, you get the Spirit. When you get the Spirit, you get the Father. When you get the Father, you get the Son. So I don't see the separation that, that, they, that they make. Now, Baptist. Nobody can speak for Baptist. They're more Baptist than our people. But generally, the Baptist position on tongues has been one of two. Either kind of a passive indifference toward it, or it's been done away with. It's been done away with. And uh, if, if, when we get into the actual uh, gifts themselves, we will maybe look at that a little bit closer. But let me just say this real quickly. I don't have that gift. I don't speak in tongues. Uh, I don't think, I personally don't think it's the evidence of being spirit-filled. Uh, and by the way, you can operate in these gifts and be very carnal. A lot of people think, well, if you're operating in spiritual gifts, that makes you spiritual. Not necessarily. Uh, open your Bible back up. The Corinthians. Uh, let's go back to the first chapter. First chapter of Corinthians. You still with me? You learned anything? Okay. Look at verse 7, 1 Corinthians 1. So that you are not lacking in any gift, waiting eagerly for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this. The church at Corinth was not lacking in any of these gifts. All these gifts were being exercised in the church at Corinth. Well, did that make them spiritual? Or in chapter 3, look at verse 1. And I, brother, would not speak to you as being spiritual men, but yet as flesh, as infants in Christ, as, as carnal. In other words, he was saying that even though all these gifts were existing in the church, he still didn't speak to them as being spiritual, spoke to them as being carnal. That explains, to me at least, why you'll see great men, great preachers that will fall but yet they had such an anointing on their life. It's not the gifts of the Spirit that make you spiritual. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Um, years ago at Highland, there was a man that was a very gifted teacher. Very gifted teacher. He not only filled the church on Sunday morning, he filled the church on Wednesday nights. People came to hear him teach on Wednesday nights. It was discovered that he was having a homosexual relationship with some men in town. 
and was consequently asked to step down from the church. People, when I came there years later after that happened, they'd say to me, Barry, how in the world can that happen? How can a man be that anointed to teach the word like he did and live a, a, a lifestyle like that, that the Bible says is an abomination? The answer to that is God watches over his word to perform it. If God can speak through a mule in the Old Testament, he can speak through anybody. Several years ago, there was a pastor in Colorado that uh, went there to start a church. It ended up having thousands and thousands of people. He, he was not only a great teacher, but he helped unify the city, uh, that city he was in. I think it was Boulder. Uh, he got preachers to come together and reconcile, love each other, and unite together. He, too, was caught in this act. And again, the question comes up, how in the world can you teach like that, be anointed like that, and yet live that kind of a lifestyle? Operating in the gifts of the Spirit is not an indication that you're spiritual. Now, if you are spiritual, it'll definitely help you operate in those gifts, okay? But you don't have to be. And we see this again uh, okay, how do you receive these gifts? Let's look, uh, how much time do we have there? Let's go down to verse, uh, go back to the 14th chapter, and let's look at verse 10. There are perhaps a great many kinds of, no, that's not what I'm looking for. That's the 14th chapter. Let's go back to 12. Okay. Now, he's talking about these different kinds of gifts. And by the way, this is not the only listing of spiritual gifts. They're also listed in, first, in uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, verses 1 through 3. And some even say that the, the passage over in Ephesians where it talks about the pastor, the evangelist, and so forth, uh, we're talking about spiritual gifts. I think that passage is talking about spiritual offices more than spiritual gifts. But then look at verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So, we don't just operate in the gift of the Spirit when we want to. We operate in the gift of the Spirit when the Spirit wants us to. Okay? If I had the gift of healing that's listed in this passage as the gift of the Holy Spirit, I can promise you one thing. I would not be standing here today talking to you. I'd be at Cook's Children's Hospital in Fort Worth praying for those kids to be healed. Well, how does that gift work? Let's talk about healing for a moment, then I'm going to shut it down. I know we're getting late here. How does the gift of healing work? Several years ago, in fact, it was my first church out, out of seminary. I got called one Sunday night, and they said, this man's been dead for years, so I'll go ahead and use his name. <clears throat> they said, Mr. Winningham has just expired, and his wife's not handling it very well. Can you come to the hospital and comfort his wife? Well, it was like 10 minutes for church. So I called the worship leader and I said, listen, uh, sing a couple extra songs if you have to, because I'm going to go out and pray for Helen. Then I'll, then I'll come back and we'll have the service. So I went out there. And I walked in the emergency room. And I saw a man's legs as dark as these uh, chairs right here. 
I saw absolutely no chest cavity movement whatsoever in, up here. And the nurse called me aside and said, he's dead, and his wife's not handling it, so do what you can. Well, here I am. I'm kind of a rookie pastor anyway. I just got out of seminary. You know? <laughs> I've, never, I've never had to do this before. So I was ready to uh, just pray a prayer of comfort over her. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor, you believe in miracles, don't you? And I thought, uh-oh. I'm not giving this woman false hope. This guy's gone. But all at once, something came over me. I don't, you can call it whatever you want to. You can call it the anointing. You can call it the gift. I'd rather you get the right thing and call it the wrong thing than get the wrong thing and call it the right thing. Something came over me. And I said, Helen, how do you want me to pray? And she said, I want you to pray that I can keep Herman a little while longer. I said, okay, God, you've heard our request. We confess there's nothing impossible for you. You said to ask, we shall receive. So we're asking today, Lord, for, to have mercy and to let to Helen keep Herman a little while longer. He lived two more years. He lived two more years. The next morning when I went back out there, the doctor called me aside and said, hey, now that you and God have decided that you want this man to live, tell me what to do with him. There's, he said, there's no reason. He shouldn't have made it through the night. And I said, doctor, is there a hospital anywhere in the world that could help Herman? He said, if it is, it's Scott and White in uh, Temple, Texas. Now, this is Frederick, Oklahoma, seven and a half hour drive from here. That hospital is a worldwide known hospital, nationwide known for sure. Now, does that happen every day in my life? No. It doesn't. Do I call people by name that I don't know every day of my life? No, I don't, but I, I do, some. Do I have a word of knowledge? No. Why? Because I don't control those things. The Holy Spirit controls those things. All he wants me to be is, an, is a vessel that he can use to do it with. You see, during the early church, and I, I promise, I'm about to be through, but I'm about to be through several times sometime in a message. In the early church, when they came together, the gifts of the Spirit operated within the church. Put it like this. Let's say this gentleman right here comes down here and says, Barry, I'm sick. The doctor says, don't give me much hope. And will you pray for me? I might just pause and say, wait a minute. Is there anybody in the congregation today that feels like that God may be uh, wanting to minister the gift of healing through you? And you know what it might be? Might be these teenage girls sitting right here. Might be an older gentleman sitting back, back there. See, we don't control the gifts. The gifts are, we get manifested as he desires. And I, I hope there'll come a day again, one day when the church will go back and operate in the gifts. Not be afraid of them. Don't, don't refuse them because this people, crazy people have abused them. When that day comes, we'll see things and we'll hear things and we'll, somebody will have a word of knowledge about somebody or somebody will have a, a word of encouragement from somebody, somebody will have a, a word of wisdom from somebody, but it won't be the preachers that are doing it. God's filled his quota of big shots a long time ago.
It's this young man sitting right here that he uses today. And any believer that will be, make himself available. Now, I'm not through, but I'm done. <laughs> Next week, the Lord willing, we'll look at these gifts individually. Individually. What is the word of wisdom? What is the word of knowledge? Please, please, please don't refuse these gifts because others have abused them. Don't do that. We can't afford to do that. Okay, let's pray.